Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10, you might be thinking, hey, weren't we in uh, John chapter 10 last week? Yeah, we were, but we're doing the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And in this particular case, this, uh, this event that's taken place uh, happens to be maybe between some verses in John chapter 10. And so as you'll see in John chapter 10, verse 22, it says, now during the time of the Feast of um, Dedication, which is Hanukkah, happens in December. Um, so there was a time period between John chapter 10, verse 21 and verse 22, which um, guys that have spent a lot of time doing the chronology of, of the ministry of Jesus have um, placed this event in that, in that place. And so we're in Luke chapter 10 this morning, um, where Jesus uh, sends out his pairs of uh, disciples, 35 or 36. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and uh, he's about six months from the cross now, and he is uh, still stirring up quite a ruckus in the uh, ministry uh, of the, the Jews. They, they don't appreciate his unwillingness to submit to their man-made rules, and so he is, um, he's made it clear to them, though, that he is about one thing, and it's about his father's business, right? It's about his father's business, and I hope that could be said of you as well, is that you're about your father's business, and, you are, and, and, and the father's business is all about harvest, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Hey, that's better. We're going to talk about harvest, harvesting uh, as it relates to people being saved, and, and the, the business that, that our father is in requires much laborers, and that's what Jesus will tell us this morning. So if you would stand, please, we're going to read Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on, a, on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the, work, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest, into his harvest. Uh, go, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it, may, it will return to you. And remain in that uh, same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wage. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they say uh, they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For, it, for if the mighty works done in, in him had been done in Tyre and Sidon, uh, they would have repented long ago sitting, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. 
The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, God, that you would help, that you would come, that you would speak directly to our hearts, that you would get me out of the way, Lord, that your spirit would speak and make this passage clear to us, Lord, as it relates to us in this harvest that you have called us into. We ask that you would just come now and just continue to bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You ever noticed how into pairs God is? And I don't mean the fruit. I mean the number, the numeratical sense of the word. God created us with two eyes, two ears, two nostril cavities, two hands, two feet. God created us with, uh, created us as two types of beings, female and male. The Bible tells us that if, if uh, two people come together that they can establish a fact. God is, some, for some strange reason, into, into pairs. And, and for my brain would reconcile that to mean that God is symmetrical because I like things symmetrical. I like things balanced. Even this is off balance. We should be over here, right here in the center. Wait, that's my OCD. Never mind. But, but God is into pairs, but, but there's more to it, pun intended, uh, there's power in parent pairs. You, you see that in the world in all kinds of different ways. It's a football Sunday, so I'll use a football analogy. So Steve Young, he was a football player. He's a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers back when I used to watch football. I don't really watch football anymore. But, but, but Steve Young was, was told as a quarterback that he was too short. He's about two inches shorter than most of the successful quarterbacks, and so he was told he would never really make it as a quarterback in the NFL, and yet... He became one of the all-time pass raiders ever. He's still number four on that list. He was paired with a guy named Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice, in his position, was too slow. He ran a 4.740. That's way too slow for a wide receiver. And yet Jerry Rice is rated as one of the best patch catchers in the NFL, even today, and, and probably of all time, they say. You know, the, the, we see that in all kinds of ways. There are dynamic duos that are going to play today. We have Peyton Manning and um, Demarius Thomas. They are a dynamic duo, and they will have their way with the, the Steelers today, and they will win, no doubt, because Rosslenberger's got a hurt shoulder, right? And, and also their, their guy, Antonio Brown, is out, out of, as of concussion. So we won't see how that will go down. Sucks to be a Steelers fan today, guys. <laughs> but it doesn't just work that way in football. Look at business. Steve Jobs, one of the most creative minds ever, and yet, without Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs goes nowhere. Without Wozniak, the Apple company goes nowhere. A little company called Google, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, their combined brains created this, this company that's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $30, $365 billion. That would be like winning the recent Powerball uh, once, uh, once a day for a year. That's how much their company is worth. Listen, there, there's, there is a point. God created us to pair up. Not, we're not to be lone rangers, right? There's power in, in pairs. When God's people come together, there's power in that. And we can make some serious impact. Uh, that's the title of my sermon this morning is Paired for Power. 
what we find is Jesus is pairing up his, his disciples for the work of the ministry. You might think, well, couldn't he have covered more ground if he would have just sent them out one by one? He would have had double the amount of people. He could have done more, you would think. And yet, God paired them up for a reason. Because there's power in that combination. There's a dynamic that happens when we're paired together that, that just doesn't happen on your own. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. Now he's able to talk through two people and not just one. And it seems to be far more effective. And plus there is a power amongst each other. There is a boldness that comes. When, if, you've ever done, if you've ever witnessed with somebody else, you know that to be true. But there's a power when you have a brother or sister standing by your side and you're proclaiming the name of Christ. God designed it that way. Jesus sent his disciples out that way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I've divided this up into six sections, these 16 verses. First, we're going to look at the pairing of the appointed. Look at verse 1 there. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them all on ahead, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, the most important thing that we can glean out of this chapter, I believe, is found in, in, right there in verse 1. Most important thing, and that is in the idea that the, the pairing was a result of appointment. The pairing was a result of appointment. God had appointed these men. He had called them out. He had appointed them. He had chosen them. It's, that's what the word means, chosen. He had chosen them. And, and, and that's important for any ministry in the beginning. Whenever you start something, you must be appointed to it. It's something that God does. It's not something we choose. You know, you, you, don't, you don't choose to... Uh, you know, be uh, a missionary or a pastor or a teacher or whatever it is. You know, you, you don't choose those things. You're appointed to those things. If you choose them and you're not appointed, they're destined to fail. They might find human success, but in the, the kingdom of God, they'll be considered failures because they're not, God can still use anything, but they're not, design, they're not in the same design as what he would have had them to be as the appointed one. God created a culture of appointment. And so it's important that we understand that. He chose these men, not because of who they are, by the way. He didn't choose them because they have some special ability. But I would say that he chose them because they had a special inability. God doesn't choose people, for many people anyhow, for their abilities. He chooses people with inabilities that he might show himself strong through them. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know the verse, verse 26 to 30. It says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standard. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. He appointed. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, listen, might boast in the presence of God. So that you can't stand and say, man, look how great I am. I say it all the time. Look, God, you're so lucky to have me on your team. You know, the, the Kobe Bryant attitude of the basketball team. No, that, 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 that's not what this is saying. This is saying, man, we're lucky that God would choose us at all because we, have, we are unable to do anything is what it is telling us here. Listen, this is not super flattering. That, that verse is not super flattering, is it? It's saying you're, you're unable, but God is able. And that's a good thing. I mean, the choosing was sort of like 
if you've ever seen the movie Zoolander, it was sort of like the choosing of Derek Zoolander, you know, to, to, to be the guy to, to, to kill the, um, the, the Taiwanese president or whatever it was. They, they chose him because he was a fool. They chose him because he was not super smart, because, not because he was really, really good looking, because he was really, really unable to, to understand anything. And so uh, he was chosen, and that's why you're chosen. God chose you because he wants to work through you, and he wants to make no mistake about it that it was all him and that it was not you. If you're a Christian, you are chosen by him. You know that? The word tells us that you're chosen by him, that you already have an appointment by God to a harvest. Jesus told us that. We are his ambassadors. You've been appointed to represent Jesus Christ to the world, and he's given you a commission to go into the world, to go into the harvest and make disciples. That's, a, that's across the board calling on every person's life. He's appointed you. He's chosen you to do that. But I don't have the ability. Great. Well, then that's why he chose you. Because you don't have the ability. But he does have the ability. He wants to use you. And he wants you to go into the world. And as comfortable as that might feel to you, as uncomfortable as it might be to start to talk to somebody about Jesus or to, to just begin to reach into somebody's life when they're at a critical moment, might be uncomfortable but, and you might feel unequipped, but that's a great place to be because now you're 100% dependent on him. You're not dependent on your own mind. You're not dependent on your own words. You're dependent on his word and his spirit. And that, that's a great place to be, folks. God has appointed you and I to go ahead of him as in this passage. He's coming back. We are modern-day modern day John the Baptist today, folks. We are preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. He sent us into the world, and he's coming back. He wants people to know that. Now, some of your versions of the Bible might say that he sent 70. May, maybe have an asterisk there or, or a footnote down in your Bible that would say, or earliest manuscripts say 72. What's that all about? Well, it's talking about, you know, maybe an early scribe had written 72 there. It was 70 originally, 70, 72. We don't know which one it is. Um, you know, people like to pick it as being 70 because then it matches stuff in the Old Testament, like the 70 elders that Moses chose, or like the 70, country, uh, 70 um, nations that are found in Genesis chapter 10. People, oh yeah, it fits perfectly. That's totally what it is. Well, we don't know. So what, what we know, what's more important is that Jesus sent them. That's, that's more important. To miss the point of the passage would be to focus on the thing that's not even really the focus of the passage. The focus is on God sending them, Jesus sending these men. They were chosen for the purpose of being sent. You, Christian, today, God has chosen you on his behalf again to go before him to the places he'll send you. That's why it's incredibly important that you pray about where you're to go. So oftentimes we, we wonder, Lord, uh, where, where, where should I go? Should I, should I move to Florida or should I move to Tennessee? Why am I here? What am I doing? Pray. Ask the Lord because he's sending us. We don't, again, it's his, his, our life is his. We were bought with a price. And so it's all about him. It's all about his plan for our life. And we should be all about praying to him and saying, Lord, would you have me to move? Well, but my career's taking me this way or my career's taking me that way. Obviously, that's what God wants me to do, really. 
Is that true? It could be. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm saying, ask him. I'm saying, pray about it. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm at a crossroads, and I'm asking you, what would you have me to do? You have to know, listen to me, you have to know when you leave, where you go, whether you've come here or whether you're going somewhere else, you have to know it was him because there's going to be points of testing in your, in your life. When you go, wherever you go or wherever, wherever you stay, you have to know he's in it because you're going to be tested in it. And then you're going to, the devil's going to try and confuse you and he's going to try and get you in this place where you're wondering, am I supposed to be here? Did I make a mistake? Don't walk circumstantially. You walk by the Spirit of God, not by sight, but by faith. And you believe if you know that God is calling you to go, you do what he tells you to do. And you don't look back. And you don't worry about what's before you. you you've been sent. And make that distinction in your heart before you go anywhere. Am I sent? Because if you're sent, he's equipped you. If you're sent, he's empowered you. If you're sent, he has a, a purpose and a plan for you. Now, I'm not saying we can't make mistakes, and when we do, God will use those certainly. And he knows them anyway, and he will use them. But I'm saying, you're an ambassador. If I'm an ambassador of whatever, a, a country, if I'm the ambassador of Cuba, guess what? We probably don't even have an ambassador there, but I'm going to use it anyway. So if I, were, I, I don't go to Africa, I'll just show up in Africa, hey, I'm the ambassador. Yeah, but you're the ambassador to Cuba. No, but I'm here. But I'm an ambassador. Yeah, but you're not, you don't even know what's going on here. You're not equipped or prepared for this ministry. That's why we pray to the Lord, and that's why we ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do? God is sending you into every town and every city, every place that you put your feet. He has a plan and a purpose for. And so we want to know that it's him, and he's calling us to him. You are representatives of the king of kings, people the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not only do we get to tell people about that, but sometimes more importantly, God's purpose is that we model that before people. Not, 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 sometimes it's not about the evangelistic part of it being outward in it. It's living through it before people, and they watch you, and they go, man, what's, what's up with that guy? Why is he like that? What's up with that lady? Why is she like that because Jesus has sent me he called me he chose me he sent me he equipped me he prepared me to do what I'm doing and I'm just being obedient to him why did he send him out two by two why did he send him out well Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 gives us a good reason <laughs> simply because two are better than one I like it it's easy, it's simple, it fits, it's good. That's what the Lord says. Two are better than one. Written by the most wisest man in the world. Solomon, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Listen, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. And notice when he falls. And has not another to him to lift up. Uh, to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And, all, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's a great marriage verse. 
That's a great marriage passage, but this is talking about more than marriage. This is talking about God binding two people in, in a calling that have been chosen and been sent to do something on his behalf. That's what this is talking about. The third fold uh, cord is not quickly broken because the Lord is with the two. He's the center. He's the center of the marriage. He's the center of everything that we're called to when we're sent. He's the center. He's the third cord. He's the one that keeps it all together. He is the one. These guys are paired for power. When one's down, one can pick, pick the other one up. When one's hurt, one can help the other. When one's at a loss for words, the other one can come and speak in. If you've ever, again, done street witnessing, you know that to be true. It's amazing how you can be talking about somebody and then, and then you're like, okay, I'm out of words. And then, boom, the other person starts witnessing to them. And they, they just like took off right where you left off. And it's beautiful the way the Lord does that. But that's why he sends us out two by two, because two are better than one. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of a lone ranger. Good luck with that. Have fun. It tells us what happens when you, when you try to be a lone ranger, doesn't it? When you fall. Not if you fall. When you fall. You're going to encounter things that you may trip over if you have a buddy there with you. If you're paired up with somebody, whether it be your husband, whether it be your wife, whether it be your friend, your cousin, your whatever, your brother in Christ, whoever it might be, he's there to lift you up. And I'm not saying that God never sends us out alone, because obviously he does, but I'm saying there's power in pairs. I'm saying don't neglect that. When God brings somebody alongside of you to serve with you, don't neglect that. Don't resist that. Allow the Lord to do what he wants to do because it's all about his plan. Not only are two better than one, but two can establish a testimony. As I talked about, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness cannot, shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established, i.e., no, I can't take your word for it. Sorry. <laughs> God says that it takes two to do that. What, you don't trust me? No, I need another one. Sorry. But I'm your wife. No, I don't do that to her. I don't do that to her. She would kill me. But uh, he's telling us here that there's reasons for it. And also, that not only to establish the testimony of the witness before the people, but also, hey, I think that God wants to keep the fish stories at a minimum when they come back, right? I mean, he wants to say, hey, you know, let's be, let's be honest about what happened out there. Did you really do all these things? You know, God pairs us up so that he keeps us honest with each other, you know. So Jesus is like, man, I don't want to hear any outlandish fish stories. I know some of you guys are fishermen. So, um, so, so there we have the, the, appoint, the pairing of the appointed. Next we find the problem that existed. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Have you better, ever been involved in something that was like incredibly good but incredibly bad at the same time? Like it's so good that you're like, whoa, I can't even believe this, but it's so stressful and bad on you that you're like, whoa, why am I in this? But I like it, but I don't. You, you're like, you, you know, I, I've been there. In business, I've been there. Been there where I've experienced just an incredible amount of growth, and Gus and Peter can attest to it, incredible amounts of growth and so so great that you have a lot of sales and everything, but if you don't have the capacity to fulfill those sales, you have a catch-22, and it's stressful. And, it, and it's one of those places that 
people always say, well, that's a great problem to have, man. <laughs> yeah, it is a great problem. It's still a problem. I like to say, hey, it's still a problem, though. It's a great problem, but it's still a problem. No, 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 let's not say that. It's an opportunity. It's not a problem, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the Lord to do something. Listen, sometimes we get in places like that where there is a lot of good happening, but there's also this side that there is an opportunity to grow. There's a problem. And Jesus sorts that out for us here. He tells us there's a problem here. The problem, the, 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 the blessing is that the harvest is plentiful. That's great. Hey, we're, we're ready to reap, man. There's so many hearts prepared and ready to receive the gospel. And yet we have a problem. We don't have the capacity to serve the harvest. We don't have enough laborers. What will we do? I imagine when Jesus said this, that he would say it with maybe even tears in his eyes. When I look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, when he sent out the 12, and this is not to be confused with that, totally separate event. But when he sent out the 12, it says in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Listen to what was happening, what Jesus was seeing. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers few. And that's a whole different flavor. When you look out and you see lost people, but you don't have enough people to go out there and tell them about the gospel. And you're God. And you're looking at it and you're saying, man, Jesus is saying they're helpless. They're sheep without a shepherd. They need people to go. And Jesus would say, you go. Jesus has compassion for the lost man. He has compassion for those people who are helpless, for those people who are wandering. He loves them. They are his harvest. And he doesn't want to lose any of them. But you do understand that a harvest has an expiration date, right? You understand that when, when, when you're harvesting something, any kind of perishable, that it has an expiration date. You can cut the wheat down, but if you don't get it back up off the ground, it will go to waste. It'll go to waste. There's an expiration date. In other words, the opportunity will pass. Maybe circumstances will lessen. An alternative source of comfort might be found. A harvest doesn't last forever even a spiritual harvest, and Jesus knows that. And so it's with compassion, I believe, that he says this to them. There is a sense of urgency that Jesus is placing in his voice upon these words. The harvest will expire at some point. We know this to be true. The word already tells us it's going to happen. So there's a sense of urgency Jesus is concerned about these people, and we should be too. As his ambassadors, he brought up the problem. Hey, here's the problem. Why don't you pray about the solution, he says. Look at verse, a second part of verse 2 there. Therefore, pray earnestly. Therefore, because of connection with the previous verse that he had just gotten, saying, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into this harvest. Man, I, I can relate to what he's saying here because every time I had a problem in manufacturing and the people in my business, you know, we, many Christians work there. We would pray about the problem. Lord, what in the world can we do about this problem? How can you help us in these issues with these production issues that are happening or whatever? You turn to prayer. You ask the Lord. And you know what? He cares about those things. He cares about the little things in your life. The Bible says cast your cares upon him because what? He doesn't like you? No, he cares for you. He loves you. He, wa he wants you to bring everything to him, even little things. As little as you might think they are, he says, man, just bring them to me. Just keep bringing them to me. It's, it's training. It's training. He's just trying to train you to just keep coming to him, to come to him, to depend on him. And, and, and Jesus is telling the disciples the same thing. You depend on, them, on, on the Lord. You go to the Lord. You depend on him. You pray. I hope you bring your problems to the Lord. I hope you bring every single one of your problems to your gracious Heavenly Father. He can solve the problem. He can solve the problem. That's what Jesus is trying to show them. Listen, I, you come to me and I'll show you how to solve the problem. Listen, Jesus didn't say, go recruit. Well, that that's um, solves the problem, right? There, there's not enough labor, so why don't I just go recruit some people and we'll go out into the harvest. No, 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 no. I'll tell you from experience that throwing unexperienced bodies at something doesn't work. If you've ever worked in manufacturing, you know that to be true. It will not work. You cannot throw people at it. It doesn't work. And what happens? Jesus says, I need to send, I need to send those who are appointed, those who are sent. I need to send those who are skilled. He wants us to send people that have the, the, the ability to do the work, and only he can do that. So he tells them to pray. But pray specifically, pray earnestly. Again, with urgency. That's what the word means. Don't pray feebly, but pray earnestly like, Lord, time is of the essence. We, we need help in this situation. He's, pray earnestly. At some point, hearts are going to grow cold. Lord, you know but you called me to pray about the problem. I've got a family member who's going through something right now, Lord, and I need, I need you to, do, to interact in their life right now. I need you to meet them where they are, and you're praying earnestly for them. And you're praying with urgency because you know there's an opportunity there because when difficulty comes, opportunity arises for the Lord to meet people where they are. If not any one of you ever experienced a difficulty, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be here um, before the Lord. It's through difficulty that he oftentimes draws us. It's through trial that he reveals himself to us. It's in prayer where he will help reveal the, the, the solution to our problem. Pray with urgency, but also, listen, pray with expectancy. Pray with expectancy that, you, that God would, would pray with some faith. Like, God, I'm going to pray that you're going to do this. I'm going to pray that you're going to send out. You, I know your will is to share the gospel, but I'm going to pray with some expectancy that you're going to do it. Lord, I believe that you're not, not only are you able, but you're willing. And I'm going to believe that. 
He is the Lord of the harvest. The ruler of the harvest. Do you know what that means? Let me just summarize it for you. Your problems are his problems because he's Lord. You get that? Whatever you're experiencing in your life, no matter what problem it might be, he's Lord over you, therefore they're his problems. Lord, you have a problem here. Because this is your life. I am yours. I belong to you. So Lord, I'm praying with expectancy, with urgency that you would work in this situation. You want to increase productivity? Pray for laborers that can do it. But be open because when you pray, God may send you. He may send you. He might say, hey, you're the one. You need to go. I'm sending you. But Lord, my family member, I, I need somebody to share the gospel with them. Yeah, that you're my ambassador and you have a relationship with them. Why don't you do it? No, no, not me. <laughs> what do you mean me? No, I'm not, I'm not equipped for that. Why don't you send somebody else, Lord? Like somebody that really can tell them about Jesus. Well, wait, wait a second. You're, you're a Christian. Wait, you're supposed to be following me. You're supposed to know the gospel. You're supposed to have experienced it and can be able to just simply tell people what that looks like in, in your life so that you can explain it to them and how it, affects, how it can affect their life. Like God will forgive you. Like God wants to wash you clean completely. He wants to take away your sin. Like He wants to restore you into right relationship with Him. And when that happens, He infuses you with Himself and your whole life becomes different. The world now becomes right side up. Or upside down, depending on how you look at it. Jesus said pray. Pray and the problem will be solved. And he's going to send people. He's going to send you. Because he's already called you. He's already commissioned you. He's already equipped you. He's already sent you into the world. Paul said some plant, some water, but the Lord gives the growth. So you don't worry about what process, what part of the process you're involved in. You just do what he tells you to do. Next, we find the provisions that he provides while away. Verse 3, go, away, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Jesus tells us that this sending does come with some occupational hazards. Like there's a potential that you could die or get injured uh, it, by doing your job. You know, it's estimated that uh, 100 million or so Christians are persecuted for their faith globally. They're, I mean, it's pretty high occupational hazard to be a Christian. And yet, that doesn't stop the hope of the message because there's hope in the message. And, and, and during any period of time in church history, if you read church history, you see that it's during persecution that the church spreads because that's when you're modeling Christ. It's when you, you, really, you really don't know what you believe until you're tested in it. Then you know, do I really believe it? Do I really believe what my, do I really have faith or do I just say it? But when I experience something and I'm tested in it, it tells me where I'm at with that. Jesus, you really believe that you're the son of God? You're the Messiah that you were sent to this world to be the lamb of God? Show me. And he did. You really believe that you're redeemed, that you're bought and paid for, that you've been 
forgiven and that you're in right relationship with God and that no matter what goes on in your life, you're going to be with Him? Prove it. Live it out. Live it out. God provides power. He provides boldness. He provides all that we need to serve Him well. But, but there is potential hazard that comes in being a Christian. The church has always been persecuted and the enemy means it for evil, but God uses it for good and He spreads uh, the, the, the gospel. He tells us that we're going to be sent out as lambs among wolves. You, you can expect... That, that lambs are defenseless animals. They can't do anything to defend themselves. But they have a shepherd. They have a shepherd that's watching over them, that's defending them, that's you know, always watching them. And, and when one goes astray, he goes after that one and brings it back because he cares for his sheep. We just went through it. John chapter 10. But there are wolves. Now, statistically speaking, you can look it up. You can Google it if you want. But there are more lambs than there are wolves. There are more lambs than there are wolves. So what I'm saying is, is that you know, <laughs> some people walk out their door expecting wolves. And they're so cautious and careful in their Christian walk and what they say and do. And they're not really, they're so afraid of the wolf that it hinders God's ability to work in their life. And I would tell you that, listen, there are more lambs than there are wolves. You know, and, and you've heard the analogy, you know, Satan's probably not after you. He might be after Billy Graham or somebody like that that's really making an impact. He may not be after you. I, maybe his minions are. Maybe he has principalities and powers. But, but I also know that there's more angels than there are demons. So I know I'm protected either way. And I have a shepherd who's watching over me. So you don't have to worry about that. Yes, there's a hazard. But walk in confidence in the authority that God's given you. You're protected. You're covered. His hand is upon you. Nothing can take you out of his hand. Where God guides, he provides. He tells these guys, listen, don't take anything. Now, in one sense, this suggests a sense of urgency. Like, you need to go now. There's a sense of urgency there. All the way back up to what I was talking about before. Jesus in his compassion for the people and knowing that the harvest, there's a period of time when, when it will end. Go now. Don't take anything. I'll take care of you. You don't need to take money. You don't need to take anything. And by the way, don't stop along the way and talk to people. And, and what he's talking about is to have fellowship, to spend, in, in, not, not to be rude to people when they walk by and you're like, hey, what's up? Can't talk to you. you know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying... Like, don't get into drawn-out conversations. Joe, where you been? Oh, man, I've been, let's go have lunch, you know? And you miss what he's called you to do. No, you go to where I send you and, you, and just do what I'm calling you to do. Don't get sidetracked and depend on me. I will provide for you. That is such, so true. Where God guides, he provides. It is so true. It's, it's scriptural, and it, we've experienced it, all of us, in our lives. When you have that meeting and you're praying about it and you're like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to be able to tell this person what you're telling me to tell them and it's going to be hard. I need you to give me the ability to do it. And, and afterwards you're like, man, what was I worried about? Why am I worried about that, Lord? You just, you're able to just, you know, in the moment you just make it all work out. You just depend on him, man. Hey, listen, 
what he's trying to teach them is that he's trustworthy. And you might be in a circumstance today and he's trying to teach you the same thing again. How many times will he have to show you that he's trustworthy? I mean, he says it, he's done it over and over again, but how many times will he have to show us that we can trust him in every situation, in every circumstance? If you're in need today, God is providing an opportunity for you to trust him. So trust him. Trust him. Don't freak out in the situation. Don't try and make it happen on your own. Pray and then move accordingly. That's what Jesus is telling us. When we have problems in life, we just pray to the Lord, we depend on him, and we do what he tells us to do. Very simple. And he goes on and he tells them here that he's, he gives them the, the capacity. He, 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 not only does he provide for them, but he also gives them peace to give to others. Look at verse 5. Whatever house you enter, say, uh, first say, peace be to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the house, the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wage. Do not go from house to house. Wherever you enter a house, a town, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, customs during that time was that people would open their homes up to strangers. So they would go into a, whatever, a town square or something. There would be a place for uh, travelers to go and they would wait there and then people would come and they would just say, hey, you don't have a place to stay. Why don't you come to my house? And so they would invite them in and, and they would, the, the, the guests would go there and they would provide for them. I mean, hospitality. And, and these people would do that. Jesus is telling his disciples that that's how God's going to provide for them, just the normal way. As he, as he would, he would just provide normally for them. You're just going to go. Someone will meet you. Remember when he told, um, uh, I think, one of the, some of the disciples to go get the donkey? Hey, go get the donkey so I can ride in, you know, on the triumphal entry. Guess what? The donkey was waiting there. The guy asked him the question. Jesus said, just tell him that the Lord needs it. Really? That's it? Hey, the Lord needs it. Okay, well, cool. Let him have it. What? Yeah, just do what he says. He's already provided a way. And he's telling these guys, I'm going to provide for you in this way. When you enter this person's home, before you enter it, you say, peace be to this house. Now, if this person is a son of peace, he's talking about somebody who is an upright person, somebody who is open to the words of the Lord, somebody who has a heart for God that desires to know him, there will be an interaction that you'll sense. Your peace will settle upon him. He'll connect with you. Ever had that happen in a conversation, whether it's a brother or sister or whatever? You didn't know they were Christians. You start talking to them, and all of a sudden, there's just a peace. You're like, whoa. Well, like you feel like you've known them forever, and you've just met them? So crazy. That's what he's talking about. But he said that you're going to encounter some of those people that it's not going to be like that. They're going to take you to their home, and maybe they're unscrupulous people, and I don't really want you to stay in there because you're going to be working in that town, so I don't really want you to stay there. So, you know, you, you, you say, peace be with you. This is an indicator for them to know whether they should stay at this place or not. And if, if not, then they'll sense that. Their peace will return to them. Oh, i got to go, guys. Sorry, I can't stay here. He says, but when you find that place, eat and drink whatever they put in front of you. Don't be picky. This is my chosen vessel in whom I am providing for you through. I've orchestrated all of this. You just rest in it. Oh, and by the way, 
when you start to do, when you start to heal people of their sickness, you're going to have opportunities to stay other places. Like the, the richer people are going to come out then and their gifts of hospitality are going to come out. Come stay at my place, you know. So don't do that. You stay wherever you stayed first. Wherever I sent you to begin with, you stay there. Don't be swayed. This is not about you. This is about me. Don't you start to get unrightful gain off of the things that I'm doing. Ooh, be careful. Be careful about what you do for the Lord and how you receive from it. That's a warning. And he goes on here and he tells these guys, I'm giving you authority. He's already given them the authority to heal the sick. Okay, when they go into the town, they don't have to pray. They've been given the authority to heal. But, I say that with the caveat that he had already given them the authority. They can't at will do anything. But Jesus had already given them the ability to heal the sick, all of them, in these towns and cities. Go in there and heal them, all of them. That's what he's saying here. Let them know that the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God, the king of kings is coming, but the kingdom of God is near. The place where God dwells is near, but the, real, but the king is coming at some point. So be ready. He's telling them, this is the way that you're going to open up the kingdom for people, that I'm going to be able to authenticate my messenger by, being, by doing these miracles, by doing these healings and whatnot. Yeah, I'm having compassion on the people, but it's to also to authenticate the, the messenger so that they know that they've been sent from the Lord. I mean, there's a lot of con artists in this world today, and they get by real well because we're, we're sheep. Really? For another 1995, I can get that too? Oh, man, you know? <laughs> the Lord's just like, oh, my goodness. Oh, man. But, but he's telling us, the kingdom of God is coming to their foot, coming to their doorstep through the disciples, authenticated by miracles. And he's giving them an opportunity to receive peace. Only God can provide peace. Only the Lord can, can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding during circumstances. Only the Lord can give us peace with God. Only Jesus can do that. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he was slain as a lamb to take away the sins of the world as a sacrificial lamb for you. That's why his blood was spilt so that you and I could have peace with God. Finally, he talks about the persecution of the unbelieving. Look at verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into, the, go into its streets, even the dust of your, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he goes on, verses 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable um, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is a, 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 a severe warning to those people who experience, who hear, 
who, 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 know, who, who have seen and heard what the Lord is doing and who reject it, who, who don't. You know, Jesus, it, the, Capernaum, Chorazin, um, Bethsaida, all in the same area. Jesus did about, you know, 90% of his miracles in this one area in, in Galilee. Did, and he's, he's cursing them here saying, because of that, because you experienced all of what I did there and you didn't believe, It'll be worse for you than pagan cities. It'll be worse for you than Sodom. It'll be worse for you than Tyre and Sidon, these pagan cities that don't want anything to do with me. They don't even want me in town. That's better than me coming to town and you experiencing all that you've experienced and remain unbelieving. He tells them, you go into the city. If they reject you, go into the city, city square right in, the, in front of all the people. You shake the dust off your feet and you let them know. That there's judgment coming for rejecting him. And notice it's him. Notice if somebody accepts Christ, it's him. And if somebody rejects Christ, it's him. It's all about him. And yet somehow we have this innate ability to take it personally and get offended. And the Lord says, hold on a second. Let me work in this situation. Just be a messenger. And that doesn't mean you're emotionally uninvolved. But what it means is don't take it to heart. Don't feel like, don't take it upon yourself. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. They're not accepting you, they're accepting him. Be careful. He tells, he tells us, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me, Jesus, he says, rejects the one who sent me. What was the point of Jesus coming? To reconcile man to God. To reconcile man to God. What they are rejecting is reconciliation between God and man. And some of us are really good at that here. We don't want to reconcile with one another. We reject, it. We reject the, 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 the wanting to get right with one another. You know, hey, I blew it. I'm sorry. Well, that, I'm sorry is just not going to work. I'm offended, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and you know, you're going to have to really show me this time. Does the Lord ever say that? No, he doesn't. But actions do speak louder than words, so there is that. But at the same token, reconciliation is why Jesus came. So would it be right for his brothers or for his children to not reconcile with one another? We should. If there's somebody in your life that you're not reconciled to and, and you know that the Lord is, and they've come to you, or maybe you need to go to somebody, do it. We serve a God of reconciliation. He's all about reconciling. And if people don't want to reconcile, how can they be of him? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the entire point of Jesus coming. If you miss that, you miss the entire gospel. Like he came to reconcile us to God. Next week we're going to see that every one of these guys came back. Not one of them was given into the wolves. That should encourage you. But the Lord has protected them. Not one of them was lost. Listen, God has appointed you and I to go into the world to make disciples. He doesn't want you to go alone. He wants you to go Empowered by the Spirit of God, sent by Jesus Himself, maybe with a brother or sister. 
Go into the world. Make disciples. Find the brother or sister in your, in your work place that you can partner up with and begin to pray about your harvest there. You go to the grocery store with your wife or your kids or whatever, partner up with one of them and begin to pray about how God can use you in that harvest because there is a harvest. But there needs to be an urgency in our hearts, guys, because there, the harvest is going to end at some point. Jesus is going to crack the sky and he's coming back. I don't want even people I don't know, even my worst enemy, to experience the things that will happen when the tribulation happens. I don't want people that I love to experience that, nor do I want people that I don't even know. And I know you feel the same way. So we have an opportunity to be, the, to be a solution to the problem because the problem still exists. There's not enough laborers. There's not enough laborers, and this isn't a guilt trip to go out and do some work for Jesus. What it is is, is, is just hopefully an admonition to say, hey, do what God's calling you to do. Do what he says. Don't, don't go beyond it, but certainly don't go underneath it either. Don't, don't, don't take away from what he's calling you to do, amen? Be faithful to him. Be faithful to him because in the end, when you stand before him, there is a crown of glory that awaits you for the things that you do for him. And that's not why we do it, but that will be the fact. It will happen. And he wants to bless you, and he wants to use you, so be used. And be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, this morning and for your word and just for the reminder of the calling that all of us have on our lives, God. We've been appointed to represent you, Father. We've been sent out into this world to bring the gospel to those who need it, Lord. We've been uh, sent into the lives of our brothers and sisters, God, to minister to them in, in a way that maybe would encourage them in their trials and tribulations, Father. God, there is a harvest, and we recognize that this morning. And we ask that you would, we pray earnestly this morning about the harvest, God. Awaken the hearts of your church, Lord, to send those into the world, Father, to Call the lost to Yourself, Lord. We know Your Spirit is working and Your Spirit is convicting the world of sin and that, Lord, You have laborers on the ground, You have boots on the ground that are willing to go into the world to, to share the good news. So, Lord, we do pray for that. We pray for that not only in our community, in our state, in our country, Lord, but across the globe. Father, that you would send laborers, that you would raise people up even now, that you would send them into the harvest. We know the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and so we're asking, Father, that you would put that burden upon uh, the hearts of those whom you are sending. Maybe this is a call to missions for someone, Lord. Maybe it's a call for somebody to go and to, to serve you in a special way, Lord. May our hearts be open to whatever you want to do, God. We just lift you up. We thank you for this morning, and um, we ask that you would, by your spirit, continue to speak to us as, through this last song, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.